Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hackable You podcast. I'm Ed and I'm joined by Alex and Will as always for another dose of cybersecurity news, a topic of the week and our exclusive segment, Secrets from the Sock. Guys, COVID restriction rules are being lifted in the, in the future. We've got a roadmap to the way out of it. We're getting there. It's a positive time. How's your week been? How are we doing? What's been keeping you ticking this week? I can't wait to get some sun and to get into a beer garden. That is keeping me ticking this week. Every single day is a day nearer to getting into that beer garden. I love the way you say you want sun as well, because there's no way you're getting that in the UK, but I definitely sorry with you. <laughs> a cold, crisp beer in a, in a, in a pub uh, beer garden and just enjoy the weekend like we used to. Yeah, I've been off for, um, for a week. Uh, so I've just been trying to um, <clears throat> recuperate and chill out a bit. And I know people say, you know, how can you chill out? You've been chilling out all year because it's been COVID. But um, <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> it's not true, though, is it really? You know, have some time to yourself. But no, I'm looking forward to getting on the on the, uh, on the bike, on the motorbike bike in the summer. Get some uh, yeah, tours done. Yeah, cruising the lanes. Yeah, just just getting out again, you know, uh, catching up with friends. All, all of the Sounds above. Good. Lovely, sounds good. Well, what's weird about this week is normally you guys both have an alcoholic beverage when you're doing this recording. Alex, it's normally some form of ghost ship, weird, hoppy crap <laughs> beer. Will, you're partial to one of them too, but you know, because you're Irish, I'm sure it's always been a Guinness. But this time you're both gone for alcohol free options, and I'm sitting here with a glass of wine. What's happened, guys? Has there been some form of role reversal? I'm saving myself. Oh, I have it. A- Saving myself when the pub's open, mate. We're going to go hardcore, don't worry. <laughs> I don't, I'm scared. <laughs> I, I genuinely am scared, though, because I haven't had an alcoholic drink since uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Sorry. What, not not one drop? Not so one... you did dry January and just kept going? I just forgot, basically, and then just, <laughs> and then just kind of got used to it, really. So when, I, when it comes to me having, having my first drink after lockdown, it's going to be... <laughs> It's going to be intense, I think. Um, okay, I'm bringing the cameras. It's getting photographic <laughs> and, and evidence of what happens. <laughs> anyway, with that being said, we will jump into our cybersecurity news for this episode. Okay, first up is going to look at a former SoloIn CEO who blames a breach on an intern. Will, I know you've been looking at this for me this week. Please tell me a little bit more about this new story. Yeah, so this has been doing the rounds on social media, I've noticed as well. So it's got quite a lot of attention. But it centres around um, essentially the, a, um, the ex-CEO, uh, Kevin Thompson of, um, of SolarWinds. Uh, has been giving evidence in Congress um, and made comment uh, that um, one of the key reasons of, to the breach was the fact that a, an intern who works at the company uh, had a password set to SolarWinds123. That password was in use for, for a long time and was posted onto, reading the article, it says it was posted onto an internal uh, GitHub account. Um, yeah, good. <laughs> So I, I I think this has gathered a lot of attention on social media, partially because of you know how basic we're talking. You know, for for a company of SolarWinds is you know a security expenditure program and everything. But I think partially as well because I think if people people 
feel like it's a bit of a cheap shot at a an intern just to blame 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 an intern. You know, that's it, it was a it was a stupid intern's fault. Um, and actually, you know, is that excuse good enough for a multi-million pound security program? Absolutely not. It's, it's not good nope. enough. I mean, I get it. It's not the first time an intern or a junior employee has been sacked, blamed, used as the scapegoat to get out of a situation where, quite frankly, the business didn't respond properly. The fact that SolarWinds123 is a password, look, password123, uh, these weak common passwords are used across the board. And nowadays, there's lots of different things that you can do to stop that from happening. Uh, Microsoft Azure has a banned password list where you put in you know, words that you don't want to be using a password and it uses a special algorithm to stop users setting stupidly insecure passwords. There are lots of little things and technologies that can avoid the situation or you go right back to the bare bones and just have a very good password policy. I don't think it's fair to blame an intern. I think it's a bit of a cheap shot from the CEO to blame someone. However, you know, we all know that passwords are a problem and this could have been avoided. I think it's kind of ironic as well that SolarWinds themselves are victim blaming, considering, you know, arguably they were the cause of one of the biggest data breaches in a very long time. And the consensus is we shouldn't be blaming the victim. Let's not blame SolarWinds because it could happen to anyone. And next up looks at Microsoft who have unveiled critical vulnerabilities against Microsoft Exchange servers. Well, every now and again, the industry gets hit by a major vulnerability which everyone has to run to the forefront and patch. And this time, as it has been a few times, it's Microsoft's turn. On Patch Tuesday, they released four critical vulnerabilities against Microsoft Exchange Server, where intelligence suggests Chinese hackers are actively targeting these vulnerabilities. Initial stages of this attack aim to take hold of exchange services that are published to the internet running on port 443, or HTTPS. Therefore, this aspect of the attack could be mitigated by restricting connections to exchange services over the internet or by allowing access through virtual private networks only. However, for many people, exchange servers are published to the internet and globally accessible so they can receive emails. Essentially, this attack is broken down into three stages. First, an attacker will gain access to the exchange server by using either a stolen password or by the zero-day vulnerability I've just mentioned. The second phase of this attack controls the compromised exchange server remotely using a web shell. And lastly, using that remote access, data is stolen or an attack can continue. I'll leave the CVE IDs in the podcast notes below. However, for those that care, they're all CVE 2021 with the following IDs 26855, 26857, 26858 and 27065. I was certainly called to action late yesterday and early this morning to jump onto the bandwagon of patching um, and identify exposed servers. However, I do get a little bit of a kick out of it, especially when we're told things are being actively exploited. It does feel like a race and we will always win. Although some argue the attackers always win, I guess. <laughs> Guys, how are you dealing with this specific vulnerability today? Oh, it's definitely kept us um, and other SOC teams quite busy today. Um, I guess a combination of sort of uh, patch management and also some threat hunting as well thrown in there for good measure. Uh, it's quite scary, quite a scary vulnerability here with the ability to execute arbitrary code as well as move laterally uh, without any authentication just via um, a simple HTTP post request. Um, so yeah, keeping us on our toes. 
what I find really useful is not only was a kind of there's an nmap script that aims to identify the vulnerability available so you can kind of really quickly run that scripting engine against your external servers but also Microsoft did publish some indicators of compromise and kind of things you can use in a threat hunt for what the Chinese based attackers are doing once they compromise a server so like you said alex enough to keep a, a threat hunting team an ir team and a sock very very busy but yeah going back to what you said ed this is the sort of stuff that a lot of people live for you know it's quite exciting a little bit of fast-paced sort of instant response um and it's, it's a bold statement to say that we always win but it's, it's nice it's nice when we do <laughs> yeah i like i think it's there's just a lot of cogs turning for a lot of uh issues security problems it tends to be teams working not in silo but definitely in their own units like a soccer work on dealing with the response you might have a threat intelligence team working on a particular case when new intelligence comes to light but when a massive vulnerability like this comes out especially when it's a zero day you have every aspect of a security function firing in all, all cylinders and actually as this, as a manager it's really rewarding to see that function working and every kind of piston pumping as the the security train goes forward it's quite nice to see the things that you prepare for and the things that you practice for really come to fruition absolutely can't can't agree more and the last news article this week relates to malaysia airlines disclosing a nine-year-long data breach as always a new week means a new data breach and in this particular case, the data breach has lasted nine whole years. This is the news that Malaysia Airlines have suffered a data breach spanning nine years that exposed personal information of customers that use their frequent flyer program Enrich. Malaysia Airlines are stating that the data breach was caused by an IT service provider who notified the airline that the data had been exposed between March 2010 and June 2019. The exposed data includes members' contact details and date of birth. It's key to note, no payment card information or passwords were exposed. In a statement from Malaysia Airlines, they say, Malaysia Airlines was notified of a data security incident at one of its third-party service providers, which involved the personal data of some members of its Enrich Malaysia Airlines frequent flyer program between the period of March 2010 and June 2019, the incident did not affect the airline's own IT infrastructure or systems in any way. Quite rightly so, they're pointing out that their own systems weren't impacted. However, there's a lot to be said for third-party security and governance when it comes to working with IT service providers. The fact that the breach lasted nine years does call to question how many security checks and reviews were completed for this particular third party in their nine-year tenure. Clearly, a lot of lessons to be learned for Malaysia Airlines. And as you can imagine, this data has probably already been used in a number of attacks already, although there's no evidence of that. However, there's probably going to be a little bit more to this story. What do you make of this one? It's a difficult one for Malaysia Airlines, isn't it? Because they're, you know, they're just being told about it. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's... Very much so on the back foot, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that, you know, that's a really shocking piece of news to get, isn't it? Is, you know, um, someone contacts you and say... Oh, by the way, you know, um, we know it's Friday afternoon because everything bad happens on Friday afternoon. <laughs> That's it? so true, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a tough one, you know. We're, but again, we're, just just another, and it's not just another, but you know, another kind of third party breach, you know, that um, you know to to add to the to the tally of. Them. At the end of the day, third party security is so challenging to manage. Anyway, you have to go out. 
and ask a lot of questions and assess that third party and try and risk profile them. And many companies don't like those questions. They feel it's intrusive. They don't need to tell you it's private to that company. But, you know, we've seen with supply chain attacks, we've seen with third party governance here that, you know, there is only so much you can do as an organization to secure your infrastructure and your links into your business. And it just takes one supplier to be breached and all of a sudden it comes back on you. And and like nowadays, you know, if, if you if you speak to a supplier or you're about to onboard a new supplier nowadays, you know, well, you know, we all know of all the checks and balances and things that goes into building that contract to make sure that security is included in that contract, you know, and it's all part part of the deal. Ten years ago, did that happen? Probably not as much, you know. It's probably an afterthought. I'm trying to think what I was doing 10 years ago. I know I, I was at university 10 years ago. Uh, Ed probably learned to ride a bike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Will, uh, you just wanted to get that in there, somewhere. Oh, yeah, I've been thinking of that all for, for the two-year-old podcast. Um, but, yeah, no, nine years is, is a hell of a long time ago. Um, I'm more impressed that they had their um, and they had managed to find logs from nine years ago, to, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess there's a lot more information to come out based on this and, and how that was detected. But you're quite right, right? Having some form of evidence from nine years ago from any organization is uh is, is definitely a win in this case and we can we can take that as a positive from this incident and that wraps up the cyber news for this week we will hop into our topic of the week in our topic of the week this week we're going to delve in the idea that passwords are not here to stay now we all know that a password is used to protect accounts and data that are sensitive to us Essentially, they're like front door keys. We use them every day. However, with poor password policies, password reuse, and quite simply the fact that billions of leaked passwords are available on the internet, there is inherent weakness when using a username and password combination to authenticate to your systems and accounts. For a little while now, the cybersecurity industry has been exploring the idea of getting rid of passwords completely. Imagine logging onto your systems and going about your day-to-day life with never ever having to input a password. With the introduction of biometric security like Face ID and fingerprint scanning, clearly shows the investment and technology has come a long way. If you want to be a little bit technical here, password authentic oh that's a tough thing to say, isn't it? Passwordless authentication relies on a cryptographic key pair, a public and private key. The public key is provided during the registration to authenticating services, whether it be a server, an application, or a website. The private key is kept on the user device and can only be accessed when a biometric signature, hardware token, or other passwordless factors are introduced. Guys, what do you make of passwordless authentication? Do you think we need to be pushing for it to come sooner? Do you think that passwords are here to stay for a lot longer? What does the future look like for the password? See, I'm a big fan of moving towards this passwordless um, malarkey, uh, mainly in single sign-on. A technical term. <laughs> <laughs> that is a technical term, malarkey. <laughs> Couldn't think of a better word. Um, mainly for single sign-on. Um, a single sign-on is really, really useful. And from a user experience point of view as well, it is up there with one of the top solutions there's little use in bringing in something that's going to inconvenience the user even more because they're not going to want to do it and not going to want to use it. They talk about right at the basics and foundations of security, that balance between security and, and usability. And with increased account security to protect us from phishing and all the other types of you know password-based attacks, 
you just keep adding steps to that authentication process, which completely drops the usability, but increases the security. And user experience is just far better when you get rid of that password. I think we would. I think we should definitely, you know, move as fast as possible to this to that to you know, to this realm. Um, I think we've got passwords for a long time though, still, um, because um, you know, whilst some of the major common websites or platforms that we use might start getting on board with it. Um, you know, I think I think I think the rollout will be slow. I genuinely um, think that for an enterprise or a business, passwordless passwordless authentication is so difficult to say. For an enterprise and a business, passwordless authentication will probably come sooner than the kind of, kind of consumer customer. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely a little yeah, bit yeah, slower for the consumer. Yeah, I, I think that's purely because well, as a the majority of the globe who don't have that security lens, that focus, those goggles on that, you know, wants to, wants to protect their accounts, they just won't bother. They don't really think about it. These are the people that reuse passwords across all accounts. They don't use password managers and all these sorts of things. Whereas with with G, with like GDPR, uh, ICO fines and all these other regulations that really put pressure on organisations to be secure, passwordless authentication provides a really good use case and argument to better secure accounts as well as increasing that usability factor experienced people who've done who've been doing red teams for a very long time and you know they constantly constantly say that you know some of the some, some of the biggest banes of their existence is um is single sign-on you know single really sign-on multi-factor authentication yeah. honestly they really do provide fantastic account security and thwart an attacker from some of their initial phases I want to kind of clarify that um, passwordless authentication can be confused with multi-factor authentication because both rely on a variety of authentication factors like what you will learn in the foundation, something you know, something you are, something you have, somewhere you are. Something you do. Something you do. Thank you. Yeah, like a gesture yeah, or a signature. Yeah, perfect. Thank mm. you. Um, well, basically, MFA is just an additional layer, right, isn't it? It's just that extra step, that extra layer to secure an account, mostly for systems that use username and password, whereas passwordless authentication relies on one highly secure authentication identity, such as a hardware token built into a laptop, as well as that kind of biometric security. There is the concept of passwordless MFA, where even when you do authenticate without a password, you're still prompted for that multi-factor authentication, such as a you know a prompt to swipe on your iPhone or, or whatever. So don't get confused between the two. Ultimately, passwordless authentication is a use case to get rid of multi-factor authentication, but for highly secure services, databases, accounts, they should absolutely be having that extra layer of MFA security. Do you think that, obviously, with billions and gazillions of passwords being in breach lists and publicly available when passwordless authentication is breached or exposed we're just going to see a new form of these massive databases of authentication mechanisms or do you actually see this as a bit of a death to the standard uh, brute force style attacks you might see i can absolutely see people you know going for um for those certificates or you know um or keys or whatever uh you know how useful they will be only time will tell you know the, the reality is is what yeah. tends to happen really is you know the uh the solution comes first and then it's and then it's broken down isn't it you know it's it puts a lot of pressure on getting your public key infrastructure pki 
absolutely secure and and delivered well uh, because ultimately if your public key infrastructure is exposed or breached your cryptographic keys are then at risk and like you said will that's the start of it all so i think you'll probably see a shift from where as accounts are targeted uh, for usernames and passwords because it's easy and there are breach lists and all these reasons we mentioned to a lot more focus and exploits and uh, security researchers focusing on how to break uh, cryptographic algorithms, but also against public key infrastructure services and servers, etc. We'll, we'll probably see along with that as well, more interest in capturing and storing um, biometric data, which yeah, you know, is arguably true. more it's, it's more difficult to to use probably most sometimes maybe, but in the future it may not be as difficult to to misuse. And the trouble with biometric data is it, it doesn't change. Yeah, I remember being in Vegas at Black Hat a couple of years ago um, with actually my boss. And uh, we were mentioning that like biometric security is great, but at the end of the day, you have to take what is a physical attribute, a fingerprint, and turn it into data. And no matter what happens, if that data is breached and can be re- reused and replayed, you're in exactly the same situation you were with a password. It is it is no different, albeit there is ultimately that layer of security that can't be impersonated or um, brute forced. But if you manage to get hold of the data that can convert something real into something a computer can understand, you're back to square one. And at that point, you're just looking at a simple network replay attack and you, you literally, yeah. literally square one. Exactly. I think it relies a lot on kind of uh, someone already having an initial foothold on your network though it's not necessarily that you can now come from the outside and start brute forcing and attacking and using password lists i think if you're going to capture that data you've got to be on the network you've got to be uh, like you said alex like sniffing the network being able to replay credentials that way until data such as biometric data gets breached and published externally and who knows in the future you know instead of getting fished for your passwords you might get fished for your biometric data Ah, yeah, that's such a good point. I don't, I don't, think, right. I don't think that's too far in the future at all. If you look at you know how how, how MFA is now being bypassed, there, yeah. there is MFA based phishing to fish your MFA credential. Um, you know, there's weaknesses in the SS7 for SMS MFA. Like MFA has been broken; it's still really good, but but it has been broken down, and I see that happening with the next passwordless solution as well. God, it's like a never-ending circle, but that's why we all have jobs, and that's why we all love it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and here we are, our exclusive segment, Secrets from the Sock. In Secrets from the Sock this week, we're going to talk about how incredibly fast-paced and high-performance security teams stay organised and on top of the day-to-day challenges that they face. I want to introduce to you the concept of stand-ups and briefings that play an important role in allowing teams to operate their best in a highly stressful environment. What is your take on things like daily stand-ups, weekly briefings, and how do you and your teams stay organised within a security function? So I'll go and I'll start as someone that sort of leads an operational team. Every day should start with a a daily huddle or daily stand-up, as it was called when we were in person, because we'd all stand up and huddle around a a small location I remember doing them with you Will and Ed and we'd gamify it a little bit we'd have a little ball we'd pass the ball around the circle or you know what there's some of like the best memories of working on that front line sock is like pass the conch like they do in the <laughs> was it Lord of the Flies but we had a little football didn't we that was given to us free from Akamai at Expo and if you had the football you could talk yeah and 
or lob it at someone's head, but... <laughs> I think I was a victim many a times of uh, yeah, being lobbed at <laughs> football. But um, the main points of these stand-ups is for everyone to be able to share information. Everyone to be able to get on the same page around what's going on and everyone to be able to work together in really good harmony, which is the best way of putting it. You know, there's there's, there's so much happening. Uh, there's so much that could happen overnight. You know, if, if you're a global team, then stuff would have happened during other time zones. Everyone will be working on different things. Everyone usually works in different areas. So you may have someone that works uh, with phishing, someone that's the, the malware SME, someone that does some project consulting. And what you wanna be able to do is share that information. So everyone knows what everyone's working on during that day. Everyone knows and everyone's up to date on the latest threats and the latest vulnerabilities. You know, if a zero day is dropped, uh, we need to know who's working on that. We need to know how we're impacted on that. And everyone in the team needs to be aware of what's happening. So I guess what I want to get to is a point where we can say, you know, how do we run a successful daily stand-up? Because there's so much information in this industry that changes all the time. We could spend hours talking about the problems and the, and the, and the factors and how do we move it away from you know, an all hands style meeting, which goes into depth about different topics and keep it short and succinct. I think for me, what I found uh, beneficial with the standups is make sure you outline and define a clear uh, way in which it was run. So for us, every uh, member of the team would go around in order and just get to say what they're doing for the day uh, and some key things to, to think about. And one person would be there to talk about any key items of news or intelligence that might have come out. And you're then not restricted to topics, but each person gets, you know, two or three minutes to say what they're doing that day, what they might need help with, um, uh, with a little bit of a dose of some news and intelligence if necessary. Alex, do you think there's other aspects that you should think about, about how to run a successful stand-up and briefing? I think it's important that one person is leading it. So make sure one person is steering it so they are sort of setting the tone of the stand-up and has an idea. It's probably the person who's running the, the shift that day or the person who's running the operation at that time. They need to be in charge of the overall direction of the stand-up. But it's a really good opportunity for people to even raise if there's any cases they're working and they need help with where, you know, the previous day was so busy they didn't get a chance to ask for help on that slow time case they're working on. The next day stand-up is the ideal opportunity. Yeah, and, and do them, stand by them, become uh, almost religious in the fact that they happen every day because even on quiet days where you think it won't be necessary, it's good to get in that rhythm and just do them. Okay, guys, well, thank you. That wraps up the podcast for this episode. But as always, we've got to come to you for our weekly takeaways. It would be wrong if I didn't. So I'm going to put Will on the spot. Well, I'm going to come to you straight away because you weren't on the last podcast or the one before that. I can't remember, but please, Will, <laughs> tell me your key takeaway for this week. Um, my takeaway is going to be in line with the uh, the news topic I've talked about with SolarWinds, the passwords, is, um, you know, is, I'm not going to sit here and say, go and make sure all your passwords are sorted, but ask, do ask the question whether... Um, yeah, whether you've got sufficient visibility of of you know password complexities and and um, you know and uh, policies uh, are being adhered to in your environment, um, it, it you know there can be some quick checks, but they can be the difference between getting breached and not getting breached. Mister Stokes, 
coming to you next weekly takeaway please mine is in relation to the daily stand-ups um obviously we're in these weird covid times now uh if you don't have one currently put something in your calendar for recurring 10 minutes at the start of every day have that stand up it's obviously not going to be in person for everybody but have a virtual chat start of every day and my key takeaway looks at our topic of the week around a passwordless future Look at your organisation and understand if there is a roadmap to a passwordless future. Does that mean putting MFA on your accounts first? Assess the user journey and how usability can be improved with passwordless future. And get an understanding about how long it's going to take for your organisation to be ultimately secure by removing the password. And that finishes the podcast there. Guys, I'd like to thank you for joining me this evening. Cheers to you. And we will catch you all in the next episode.